Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now on to the show. Hi, y'all. This is Sasha here for two quick announcements before we get on to our interview for today. First of all, if you are looking for quality supplements, quality tonic herbs, some specialty food items, and you're in and around Calgary, then please go check out Lotus Herbal Health, a great family-run store that has two locations in Calgary. You can find them at lotusherbalhealth.ca to find out where their locations are, or you can shop online and they will pretty much deliver anywhere. So quality supplements, tonic herbs, great staff, check out lotusherbalhealth.ca. Secondly, I want to announce the relaunch of my program called Your Conscious Pregnancy and Parenting Guide, which consists of experts in their fields around the world on consciousness and parenting and education and nutrition and dentistry and homeopathy and more. This is a program I created after my son was born about 10 years ago, a little bit more than that. And I am now very concerned after the events of 2020 for our future generations. And I believe the time is now for conscious parenting and for conscious parents to rise up and take, to take back our pregnancies and our births and our parenting and the resilience of our children and of future generations. The time is now. We change the course of history by changing the course of our future generations. And we do that by consciously raising them, consciously birthing them, consciously conceiving them, feeding them good food, and taking back the responsibility of raising healthy, well-adjusted, robust people. Resilience. It's time to build resilience. So please go check out sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide, and you will be able to check out all of the amazing material in there. It's time for us to understand how our worldviews are formed, how our self-views are formed, and how to impact that and how that impacts the society on a whole. So check it out, sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide. And now on to the show. Hey everyone, Sasha here, new interview for the Sovereign Collective podcast. And I'm very excited about this one. It's one I've been wanting to do for a while and it's on the topic of iodine. And some of you, I know, you know a little bit about me. I have a history in chemistry is that's my degree. And I work with people with their nutrition. I work a couple of days a week at a shop, great supplement shop in Calgary. And I do a lot of health classes. And one of the ones that I did most recently was actually on iodine in last month or the month before and was very well attended. And I will be doing another one at the end of November, just so you know, at Lotus Herbal Health. Contact me if you want to know more about that. Anyways, I have been doing lots of deep dives in a lot of different areas for a long time. And I've been aware of iodine for a very long time in terms of its importance for breast health and cancer protection. And of course, thyroid, we always think thyroid, but there's so many other things. But what I didn't do, and I can't believe I didn't do until now, was really go down the path of how much iodine, what sources of iodine, 
do what I didn't know. I, I just followed the gurus out there and did these little amounts of iodine. And, and I really didn't know until I started going down the path of iodine and, and under, seeing people, clients, customers, and seeing that they had some very clear iodine deficiency symptoms, very obvious. And they were working with natural health practitioners that weren't addressing that, which is even more frustrating. I can't even believe that because even the natural health practitioners aren't understanding, I think, the fullness of the whole iodine topic. So I started reading books. And one of the books that I read was Lynn Farrow's book, The Iodine Crisis. And this is my guest with me today is Lynn Farrow, the author of the book, The Iodine Crisis, What You Don't Know About Iodine Can Wreck Your Life. I also read Dr. Brownstein's book, Iodine, and also um, just listened to a lot of interviews and reading some research studies and things like that. And just getting more and more upset and frustrated with the lack of even the so-called natural health gurus not really getting going down the path of iodine because as Lynn Farrow refers to in her book, The Iodine Crisis, we are in an iodine crisis. This is very clear and it's for several reasons, which we'll talk about in the interview. So let me introduce Lynn before we start getting her wisdom shared with you. So Lynn Farrow, Farrow like I said, she's the author of this book, The Iodine Crisis. And what you don't know about it, she put the subtitle in, what you don't know about it might be wrecking your life. And because that's exactly what it was doing for Lynn. And we'll, we'll hear from her story directly, but it's, it is quite a doozy of the story. And through a series of unfortunate events and, and diagnoses and things like that, the path of Lynn Farrow's life really changed when she discovered the necessity of iodine. And now she's very, she's plays a really big role in educating the masses about the importance of iodine. She's a whistleblower, a journalist, researcher, a former college professor, and speaker. And I would also like to add in somewhat of an iodine historian, because I think a lot of what is being, what needs to be brought to the forefront is the history of iodine and its use in the past. She currently serves as the Director of Breast Cancer Choices, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the scrutinizing and reporting of the evidence for uh, breast cancer procedures and treatments. And there's no pink ribbon in their logo. And she's also the editor of the of iodineresearch.com, which is a wealth of iodine info, info research. And also I think heading other forums and groups as well or associated with them. So we'll talk about those as well with Lynn in the interview. So thank you, Lynn, for being here today. I am really looking forward to this interview. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Anytime I can coherently make a presentation that isn't like a drive-by, take iodine willy-nilly, I always look forward to speaking to people who are already in the field and they know how slippery information can be and know how to like pick out where the holes are because they've usually had frustrations in their own health. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to today. Yes, thank you, thank you. Well, and it is slippery and it's really interesting. It's quite devious, I find. So how did you become so ingrained in the item? Let's hear about your story and where you came from and how it impacted you so greatly. Well, growing up, I was always sort of on the sleepy side. I would be the first kid to fall asleep, and I was always cold. I mean, I led a normal life, but, you know, the people around me, the children around me weren't as uh, has a, a lazy sort of <laughs> the kind of thing. But then, uh, but I, I functioned fairly well until I hit adolescence, and then I noticed, you know, those things like breast pain and of weight gain, a little bit of weight gain, that kind of thing, being cold all the time. And so that's how I was as a child. And then as I grew older, as an adult, I noticed brain fog, something that 
back then you really, no one even knew the, the term brain fog, but I never made any connection. And then uh, later in life, as I, I would go to doctors, like in my 30s, I went to different doctors complaining about brain fog or this or that, you know, all different things. And they pretty much shrugged. Apparently, there were a lot of us complaining about the same thing, but nobody was, nobody really found a, a unifying theme to this kind of thing. So then I got older and I was working at a college and it was just so hard to get there all the time. I mean, I, I would make it, but I, I just was too tired and foggy to get through my, my, my classes. So I left and I was a freelance journalist for a while. So that meant I could sort of sleep on my own time and you know, it was easier to arrange my life. Well, in the middle of that, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I'd had the, you know, the, the, the cystic breasts for years and everyone said, oh, cystic breasts have nothing to do with breast cancer. And then later I found out that cystic breasts can present uh, and, and develop into fibrocystic breast disease, which in, when the cells start mutating a little and changing and just getting hinky, you know, disorganized, that's a, a risk factor for, for getting a certain kind of fibrocystic breast disease that within a year or two often proceeds to breast cancer. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer, looked around, tried to find, you know, because I, you know, I was trained in sociology and philosophy to try to ask questions and, and find out what assumptions are. So I went to these different doctors after I was diagnosed and they, they really couldn't answer my questions. And I had to learn the terminology and things like that. So I wound up just getting surgery for my breast cancer and I didn't use any of the radiation or the chemotherapy that was recommended. So during this time, I figured I really have to up my game in research. Also, adrenaline is very good <laughs> when you get breast cancer uh, because it cleared my head a little bit. Uh -huh. I went to a conference and here's the turning point in your life. People always talked, you know, in, in movies and stuff like this is a turning point and I never had a turning point in my life. And then you might not know it when it's a turning point. So I would go to these different medical conferences. And at one, I, I found a speaker and I, mean, I was just fascinated by her. And I asked questions of, of different people about, you know, breast cancer. And she the speaker came over to me and said, you know, who, where do you work? Who are you? So I guess it was something in what I was saying that she knew I was looking for, you know, causes and evidence, and, and which is not usually talked about very much. So, what she said to me was, have you looked into iodine for, for, for the breast? And I thought, well, I'd heard about iodine for fibrocystic breast disease, but that has nothing to do with breast cancer, right? And she says, well, you know, you've got to look into it. And I thought, look into it. I have a nonprofit. We've looked into everything. And so I was almost insulted, but I went home and I figured I, I've got to look into this. I'll spend a couple of weeks, haha, and I'll research everything she said. Well, the two weeks turned into two months, which turned into two years, which turned into my life work. So looking back on it, and I became an iodine information activist out of that. Looking back on it, that was really a turning point in my life, which I never expected. And in order to do this, which you mentioned, I had to look into the history of iodine. Well, that's just generally the way I approach everything anyway, is to look back to where you first see the mention of iodine, for example. Uh, with respect to the breast. And it's very tricky because you can't just look in the medical literature. You have to look really all over the place 
And I mean, I was even looking in papyruses from Egypt, ancient Egypt, where they mentioned seaweed for the breast. And then I would go up and I'd go back even uh, further to in Chile, they were using it, uh, you know, they were traveling and there were iodine healers. They just used different seaweeds. Uh, and it was really a universal nutrient. It's like the oldest traditional medicine. But you didn't hear about that because nobody was doing the history of iodine. And so after doing that, I, I decided I would meet, I found out there were a few doctors that had the iodine project at the same exact time that I was looking at iodine. They were also doing research, but in a, I mean, you're, you have a chemistry background. They looked into everything. They knew how to really screen the research for juicy stuff. And that I contacted them. We had an iodine conference in, in 2007. We had two of them actually. And all, all the nerds came out to discuss this. <laughs> well, well, that was very nice, except these were really strict evidence-based doctors. And I knew no one would listen to them, but they would listen to me because I could say things without losing my license because I didn't have a, a medical license. Right. And that's what got me, you know, after I had gathered all this information for a couple of years, that's what got me to write my book, uh, you know, The Iodine Crisis. And the reason it's called The Iodine Crisis, this isn't an exaggeration, there is a crisis. And what happened, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of launch into this, 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 like where this whole crisis thing came from, bringing it up to the, you know, the current day. If you know, you're not, nobody's really interested in the ancient Greeks or the Egyptians or the Chilean Indians. Bringing it up to the current day, like why are we getting all these iodine deficiency diseases? So I looked into this and I, I sort of, I work with Dr. Brownstein and, and, and Dr. Abraham, who were the you know, pioneers in this, to find out what they were doing when we sort of cross-researched. And I found out that in the 1970s, now here's, here's the crook, this is why it's a crisis and not just a deficiency. In the 1970s, iodine, which had been fortifying bread for years, was taken out of it. Now that wouldn't be so bad maybe, but they put in bromide. They bromated the bread to make it sort of fluffy. And then it was put in wheat flour generally. So if you baked cookies or whatever you used flour for generally and getting a nutrient out of the flour, you now got anti-iodine properties. You got bromide. So that's one thing. It's huge just because how much wheat is part of our, our lives. But at the same time, uh, in the 1970s, Bromide is introduced as a fumigant, as a fire retardant, as a pesticide. It's put in Mountain Dew, bromide vegetable oil. And so bang, I mean, you have another, another hit to create an iodine deficiency, a crisis. And then I noticed, it, it, and there's a huge re, re, you know, reduction of things that came together it, uh, a study came out about this time. It's from uh, a government nutritional agency called Nahanes. And they measured the iodine, like in, in the 1970s, they would they measure urine, you know, just randomly for people and they would measure the certain amount of iodine. So you know how much people are getting from that. And then go up to 2000, there's 50% less iodine in the urine. So now we know people are taking from 1970s to the 19 to 2000 
50% less iodine. That's a huge decrease. And that's like a perfect storm where all these th things come together unrelated. The fire retardants in everything, you know, in cars and computers and in, in all upholstery and, and, and rugs back then. So at, at the same time, there's a parallel. So you have this removal of iodine as a, as a fortifier and the addition of iodine to the environment. It's like almost like a global warming thing, like a DDT thing. The addition of bromide in these pesticides and fire retardants. And you get, in the same period, you go to the National Cancer Institute and they'll show there's 180% increase in thyroid cancer. Oh, and I called okay. them, I called the statistician there. Well, when and was the increase over what time was that 180? The 30 years between the 1970s okay. and the 2000. Okay. And, and so that, you know, so this 50% decrease in iodine is, is really causing problems. And you look at this, as I said, if you look at the, the, just the cancer per se, that's only one thing. So I called the National Cancer Institute and I spoke to the statistician there. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm looking at these, the, the math between 1979 and I, I got that there's an 80% increase in thyroid cancer, that can't be right. And he said, no, what you do, what you have to do is you multiply this by this and it's 180%. And he even he like jumped out of his shoes. He said, I didn't really notice that um, because I mean, he has every single cancer they do the statistics on. Right. And so I realized that this was important. So I went around and looked at, at the other diseases. So of course, thyroid disease, but there was a, a, a huge increase in breast cancer and just general hormone problems. Um, everybody's, the number of people that were infertile grew. And there's a, we have a real connection. I've just seen this since I started, you know, since the book has been out, the number of people who contacted me who were able to get pregnant after taking iodine. Because even if you like, if you're a little iodine deficiency, you know the amount, you're, you're, the chance of maintaining a conceived egg in your uh, in your body is, is not that good. So that's that. That sort of sums up how I got here. Wow. And I think I say your story is a doozy, and I think what people need to hear also is like you couldn't do your job as a professor. So you changed your job. You lost your license. You walked around with a hanger in your jacket all day without even knowing it. And people pointed out to you. So you were really impacted to the point where when you were obviously to the point where you got the breast cancer. So people are walking around with these, these problems all the time thinking, you know, they're hormonally deficient or they're depressed or they need a pharmaceutical drug to, re to, to fix them when really it's a major, major deficiency. And like you said, it's a double whammy. No, first of all, our soil, if you're inland, you're not right. consuming iodine. And then they took it out where they had it in, and then they add the anti-iodine anti-nutrients in there. So it's just, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's kind of, it sounds like, I don't know, maybe it's a little calculated, but that might be just my dark side coming in, but you know. So yeah, so like you, you have now with with the iodine. So let can you tell us about your story about how you discovered how iodine, what happened when you first took your iodine, and what that did to for you? Well, the first time I took it, it I had taken a little bit like the Lugol solution willy nilly, you know, like ten years ago, but it was I, it was for basically for killing microbes in your food. You know, it, I had been trying everything, so that was my familiarity. Uh, with iodine up until that point. 
But then after the iodine conference and, and, and realizing all this, I tried a tablet of iodorol, which is, it's Lugol's iodine, which is the main form we use in a tablet form. And it has a coating that protects your stomach if you happen to have a sensitive stomach. So I, the morning, I, there's a test called the iodine loading test. And I, so I signed up for that. And on the morning of the test, you take a tablet of iodorol iodine, and then you collect the iodine for 24 hours. You collect the urine for 24 hours in this gallon jug. And you know they met. You sent a little sample of that off into the lab, and they measured and see how deficient you are. Well, I was wasn't really paying attention. I hadn't really talked to anybody about what would happen in the test. And within an hour and a half of taking that 50 milligrams of iodine. I just had this huge clarity in my mind. It wasn't like a coffee-like stimulant. It was just like everything sort of seemed clear. And then, I, I, of course, I took more when I, <laughs> if I feel this good, I could feel great. You can't take too much of it at a time. You have to like know what you're doing. But yeah. that really clicked on me. Every bit of brain fog was gone. But the, the more important thing is about how cognitively it impacts you. I, I think I mentioned this in the book where I would get impatient if other people can't couldn't multiply 30 times 30 times six or something like that in the drugstore. And yeah. they would pull out a calculator. And, and But I wouldn't have noticed that like a week earlier. Wow. Um, and, and so that it really helped. And so that was a huge thing. But other things went away, like little, I had a little cyst on my skin, uh, that went away. But the thing that I loved most was I was no longer cold. Don't forget, I had been to thyroid doctors, everything, you know, I've been to every single doctor, you know, you could think of. And nothing changed really significantly because I didn't have the iodine to make the, the, the right. thyroid medicine work. Right. So that, it, that really changed my life. A lot of things changed, but, you know, I wasn't sleeping all the time and I wasn't trying to like plot my day through when can I rest, that kind of thing. So, but that that's, I think what you're asking about the sort of boing effect I got yes. when I first yes. took the iodine and other people have reported that too. Not everyone reports it. We don't know if the people that get the boing are the ones that are most efficient or not, or it's just their brain it's the most efficient. So they feel it there. Right. Right. And 50 milligrams. So the RDA is 150 micrograms and that's a very, very significantly. Oh, yes. Dose. A lot of doctors think, no way you can't take that much iodine. That's going to, that's going to blow your thyroid up. That's going to do all these problems. So what do you have to say to that? So let's, let's talk about the ridiculously low amount that's recommended and people are following it. And not only are regular doctors following it and they They've been like the holistic. The holistic well. people haven't read enough about iodine, and they think it's some kind of additive, or that will shut down your thyroid. Yeah, I mean, I did run into one doctor socially. I, I I don't think I mentioned this in the book, but I do it when I do talks, and he said, "Well, you wrote a book on how much iodine do you take?" And I told him, and I was at that time I was taking twenty five milligrams a day. And he said, no, you must mean micrograms. Or if, it, if, we're, if, if you have more than one milligram, it's lethal. <laughs> lethal. Yes. Oh my goodness. So, wow. so he had learned that he, you'd be dead, he said. And I said, well, anyway, so you can see how this goes when you, you're talking to people who have no sense of iodine. Uh, and they just, you know, unfortunately, because of something that happened in the 60s, the Wolf-Jaikoff effect, that these doctors did a study on mice 
they got it wrong and they even the language that they spoke on you could see they were sort of shifty about it but it, because the doctors one of them was with at the national institutes of health this was widely accepted and 99% of doctors out there have studied this in medical school they probably know what the wolf chaikoff effect is and that is the theory that if you take iodine too much it will shut down your thyroid period and there's still doctors who insist that even though their patients will come in and say, well, you know, I've been taking 25 milligrams for six months and I don't think my thyroid's shutting down. I feel really good. Right. I'm not sleepy. I'm, I'm, I'm losing weight. I mean, it's not from weight loss, but if, you're, if your thyroid is very suppressed just from living and, and environmental things or any other thing, um, you will get, you know, you, you will get a, a a boost from the iodine and being your metabolism is increased. Yes. Yes. I had to personally, I was, I worked up to 62 and a half milligrams recently, but it was kicking my butt. And I took a few days off and I just started up again at 25 milligrams because I don't drive a new car. I don't live in a new house. I've been eating organic food for 30 years, but I'm getting little cherry angiomas everywhere. I was getting tired. I was getting like little breakouts and my well, big breakouts actually on my face. So I'm, I'm and I have some people that I'm, I'm working with and I, I feel like it's almost even, I, my experience is people have to start even more slowly now because there's just so much out there that the iodine is going to push out. So what is your experience with starting people at these doses? What do you recommend people start at to safely, and we'll talk about the companion nutrients afterwards. Mm -hmm. There are people, you don't just take iodine on its own. There's other things you need to do to properly organify it in the body. But how do you suggest that people start? In my book, I say start with 12 and a half milligrams, which would be like one 12 and a half milligram tablet. Right. I mean, there are people that have started at 50 and done fine, but there are people that even taking 12 and a half yes. uh, when they first start, if you're, especially if you're particularly you know, filled with bromide, yeah. it, you know, you're got, you, you get what you described is called bromide acne. I mean, a dermatologist would, would even tell you that, but the salt water loading should take care of that. And you, of course you always take it. You never take iodine without taking selenium with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, the companion nutrients, but that's the most important of the companion nutrients the okay. or uh, also i've found that if i take too much iodine i get brain fog so in oh. other words it's a, there's still bromide in me that the iodine will displace i mean eventually it, it 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 gets rid of the lion's share of the accumulated bromide of your life but you know you, you get to a certain point where, where you're fine and you don't have to take the salt loading at all right and it does take a while to actually bring the iodine up to a, a, a significant, to properly load the tissues, I would say with iodine, right? It's not something yes. that you can do in a month or two months. For some people it can take years, is that correct? Uh, it can take years. Um, you really, with the test measures is that cell saturation. Now, but that can be different for everybody. So it's, I mean, we have this test that's standardized but there's still individuality and people's exposure. I mean, there's a nurse who had gotten chemicals in, from the operating room that she was in, or people that have been in hot tubs every night of their life for the last 20 years. The hot tub cleaner is, is, is bromide. But yeah, but the, that's the main issue or concern that people have coming to iodine is they take it 
they don't know what they're doing. They, you know, maybe, you know, even a, 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 a well-meaning doctor or a practitioner will say, oh, here, I tried this and I was fine. And they'll take it and they'll get what you suggest. You know, they get like bromide acne or a rash, just bromoderma, that's cool. Right. So you, you just have to slow down. Right. I mean, even if you're taking it at 12 and a half milligrams every other day. Right. Or yeah. if you're stopping weekends, sometimes stopping for two days, which I, it's this pulse dosing method that I explain in the book. Stop for two days. And some people report getting a little euphoric as they get into the sweet spot of just having the right amount of iodine during that two-day break. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. So, so that's and, a tip. And so for people that are listening to say, well, I don't have a thyroid problem, nothing wrong. I don't need to supplement with iodine. I don't have, you know, what, what could iodine deficiency look like? Because Yes, we always associate it with the thyroid, but every cell needs iodine, right? So what- Yes, every cell in your body. Yes. So what kind of other symptoms might be present if somebody is low on iodine? Well, cold, you know, because you know, you think of what's happened, your, your body is a sort of in a hibernation, literally a hibernation state when you're very hypothyroid. So you're colder, like you're like a cold blooded animal. Literally, I mean, your body, that's a good thing. I mean, your body is compensating and being efficient by making you cold. It's like having a furnace in your body that's taking too much fuel. But uh, some people are puffy faced. That's often something we see. They lose the outer third of their eyebrow. Yes. Uh, they may have a little goiter. They may have uh, cysts in their breasts. They may have cysts in their ovaries. And, and that, of course, that could be an infertility issue. There, uh, we've had people that have, uh, men have testicular cysts, which I had never heard about until we did this, you know, did this work. Um, th there's different, like, di different joint things that can, can be involved with your joint. Uh, back of your neck may not be as tense. Yeah. Uh, basically, any and the, the go-to place to look is anything that's endocrine, any gland. I mean, I mean your, your your salivary glands. Um, you know, there's glands around your in your face. That you, all these different things are, are are centered around iodine deficiency. Right. Yeah, and like you said, brain fog. Right. I saw it interesting. What I didn't realize, I was looking on the iodineresearch.com, and I I was looking at the brain section and. What I didn't know is that there's actual local uh, T4 to T3 conversion in the brain. I was I always associate that with thyroid, but that's also a brain function. So obviously, like with the brain fog and with your boing effect, there's so mm -hmm. many people dealing with brain fog, and we think it's candida, or we think it's yeah. you know, or people are just depressed or something like that. And but that's pretty significant as well. Yes, you know, there, there are scientists that have been around for years, um, and I have a bookshelf full of the, the doctors that just worked on uh, iodine in the brain. The main thing they were looking for was mental retardation, uh, right. people being born this way. And there, originally it was thought that if you didn't get iodine in the first trimester of pregnancy, that would that would be the time that would cause, you know, cause mental retardation. But what they found, the public health people decided in Africa and in different parts of Asia, they would go around and give poppy seed oil in iodine. iodine it's, it's, it's called the iodiol or something like that, where they put the iodine in poppy seed oil and it creates a kind of depot 
in the skin and it slow releases the iodine. Because these people were so iodine deficient, they didn't quite know how to get them to take it in salt or in some something that they would eat in their culture. So when they were doing this, I think I write about this in the book where uh, they went to a village where there was a very poor village and one of the, the families had a, a child that had, he was actually a grown man by now, he was in his 30s. He had such iodine deficiency, he, he didn't have the cognition to know to keep his clothes on. Right. So the family was shamed and it, it was it was a very sad story. So the public health workers gave him and everybody else a shot. But with him, it, all of a sudden he understood like, oh, I need to keep my clothes on. Just that like slight release in IQ in, in the whatever the hormones were generated and bypassed, you know, the different receptors in the brain. And, and now he was finally it was making contact with with the iodine he needed so desperately. And so then. He was able to not only leave the house and be among the villagers and the shame was decreased in the family, but he actually got a job loading bricks onto a truck. And so the family income was increased by this. Well, the family was so thrilled that they changed their life so much. They walked a mile, a hundred miles, and, you know, they walked and walked to, to find the public health workers just to thank them. I mean, this is all documented in, in the uh, the doctors' books, the the public health doctors who study iodine in the brain. It just that's a just a whole narrow area. Right, right, yeah. And there's that other interesting one about interior China where they dripped it into the yes. irrigation ditch, and huge changes, and not very long. Like when we, it's it's so crazy. Like we know it's the number one cause of mental retardation still in the world, mm. and it's it's not that it's not a hard thing to fix, really. No. That's what's such a shame about it. I mean, it doesn't require like this great, fabulous diet of organic food and all these elaborate things that we use in in, in the West. It just requires this village in China had been sort of famous since Marco Polo had had traveled there, and they re reported back then like there's all, all these tiny people and like stunted-looking animals around them, and this village in China, they. The, the children would die, would either grow very small or they there were miscarriages, the constant miscarriages and the, and the animals would miscarry. So it was very, it was hard for them financially to like make it because if, if half of your animals are dying because of losing the fetus uh, and your kids are, are, are too hard to, to manage really and they're so small they can't do very much. Um, what they did is, is this is an elaborate public health thing, but one of the things we should know about China is they don't like Westerners coming in and saying, do this, do that, but only because of a very specific circumstance where they did they really love this public health doctor. And they knew that this doctor would not try to sterilize them like they think no. people in the West were trying to do. Right. And, they, and because of that, they were able to get a barrel of potassium iodate and drip it into the the irrigation irrigation ditch near the, the where the, the food would be raised, and because of that, I mean, you just drip 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 overnight, and they would have a, a little um, you know a farmer sort of sitting on the bridge with the, just to guard the iodine because it was so special, and within a year, the amount of changes the the people grew their children grew taller. The animals stopped 
losing, you know, having miscarriages. The people start, you know, not having miscarriages, but also the kids, you know, to see kids grow three inches more than they had the previous year as they were measuring them wow. was like, you know, the, the people there were convinced for sure. And so the cost of doing this was 5% per, five cents per person per year. So wow. that, I mean, I mean, can you imagine your whole village being changed because no. of that? Yeah, it's a crime. This is a crime, but this isn't happening everywhere. Wow. Yes. Wow. And so I want to go back to a couple of things. So first of all, the testing. So okay. I was talking to a guy who actually has an iodine company and he's saying, oh, no, the blood, like he is, I think he's, he, he owns a company and he owns a chemical company. And I think that's what he knows. He doesn't know health. So what do you say about a blood test? Or what do you say about, just say, a spot urine test? Or I don't even know if there's other iodine tests out there, but are there, what, you talked about the iodine loading test. How does that compare to the other iodine testing options out there? Well, the, the thing that most people come to me and tell me is that they, their doctor checked their iodine level in their blood <clears throat> and they're fine. Or they're even a little high. And what they're testing that those blood tests are based on the average person. So around here, you know, in this country in, in Europe, the, the, the average person is very deficient in iodine. So if you have your average person's blood as being the gold standard of normal, the test is, is useless. So we, you know, we have to like. Also, I, I took the test just to uh, to see how it compared to the iodine loading test. And I got in the 3000s. I mean, I think normal is like 50 or something like that. <laughs> so, but you can't really even use it for that though. Though my doctor does use it once in a while to convince people how, how low they are. So the, the blood test is certainly out. The, the urine spot test, it's a, it may be a little better, but it's only, it's only what your iodine status is for today. It, it, it doesn't have any, saturation it doesn't it isn't capable of me measuring a saturation so that really the 24-hour loading test is the best test to get it's the only one i would recommend right and that makes sense because if something is more deficient and you start taking it then it's probably going to suck it up where it needs it most first and so if you're not yes. measuring it there like it's yeah to me that's that makes the most sense and then so the, you're talking legal so there's a lot of the health gurus out there recommend nascent iodine. And so I was, that's what I did for the longest time, nascent mm -hmm. iodine and not very much. And then I read about, you know, this, this gland needs this kind and the thyroid needs this kind. So can you talk to that a little bit? Well, you know, nascent is, you know, I've talked to Dr. Brownstein about this too. We really don't even know what nascent is. It, it has some iodine in it, but we're not sure like how it breaks down finally in the body. Um, I mean, Edgar Casey, you know, years ago had a, a product that was based on this sort of principle. <clears throat> but it's an unknown. I've, I've seen people get, take it for their breasts and they don't get anywhere with it. It's, it's such a low, low dose. Yes. Uh, you can't risk taking. I wouldn't risk taking it if I you know, was concerned about any serious health issues. Right. And it's, I, it's like the one that I know, for example, is potassium iodide. It doesn't have elemental iodine in it. So right. can you talk to where, why we would need elemental iodine? Yeah, elemental iodine is favored by the breasts um, and, and the sex organ, the ovaries. So if, if you 
if you're not, if you're just taking the, the thyroid gland iodine, the, the potassium iodine, you only give it if there's radiation escaping or something. You're just, it's not, you're not going to get your best result. You, you may get some conversion of the potassium iodide you know, in the body to iodine, but it, it's, it's really best to take the Lugol's formula. It's been around for like 200 and some years, and it, it was the most recommended remedy in the Merck manual, which is like the historic medical yes. manual for so many different things. And I mean, I could, I could just talk all day about the different applications, but so to answer your question, that's why we suggest taking uh, the Lugol's formulation. And does that also go for the prostate in men in terms of the form that is required? The iodine? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And that's a big deal. And also iodine plays a role in the production of all hormones, right? So in our estrogen dominant society, which is associated with cysts and breast cancer mm -hmm. and, and, and the requirement of iodine, it just... It just makes me so angry to think that this iodine has been brought more into the picture because that's it's part of the puzzle. Yes, it, it, yeah, any any hormone related thing is you know especially for women because I, the way I characterize it, women have so much more iodine real estate in their body. They have their breasts, they have the ovaries, they have their uterus. Uh, so there's like more more physical tissues to cover. Right. So they, they would probably need more iodine uh, than men. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. So can we talk about companion nutrients? Oh, wait, before that, before talking about companion nutrients, can we talk about children and pregnancy and breastfeeding and what the requirements are there? Because I know it can really vary. You're saying 12.5 milligrams. Some people need 50. Some people need more. But what about children? What about lactating women and pregnancy and also what about people that are taking thyroid medication first of all for the pregnant and nursing women the recommendation is and dr uh, george fleshes has figured this out uh, the doctors can safely recommend 12.5 milligrams to those women um and, and the reason for doing that is um, is so you don't get sued if you're a doctor. It's because it, because people all over the world, especially uh, in Japan, take more than that. Just you know, like twice that more just every day in in their lives. So that's considered the safe as a maximum the safe uh, dosage for pregnant and lactating women. Is that something that you agree with? Like, do you do you? I know you can't give advice here mm -hmm. or anything. But do you know of stories where women are taking more and they're fine? Or is there dangers of taking more that you know of? Well, my niece, she had been taking, uh, she, she was like 32, I think, when she, in, in her second pregnancy. She had been taking the Lugol's, you know, the, the iodorol every day, you know, for, for like two or three years before she got pregnant with, with the next child. So she just kept it up because it, it the child, I guess she thought was an extension of her and if she was used to getting that much. And she seems to have a very high recommendation, uh, a high uh, tolerance or she, her knee, when she drops below a certain point of iodine, she, she feels it. And so, what's her level? What level does she need? Probably about a hundred. Yeah. Uh, so, that's the, that was, so she took that and even after her, her pregnancy, after she gave birth to the, that child, 
Um, that child was much brighter than the, than the other child. I mean, in terms of quickness and getting grasping things. Right. Uh, so the the IQ of the child is affected probably 15 points or so. So you can, if you have different children, people have noticed that. You know, there was mm. one child, somebody wrote in uh, to the iodine workshop group recently and with the picture of her, her child. And it was the picture of her five-year-old child teaching the other kids chess. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how, you know, advanced they they can be but i think that answers your question about uh pregnancy mm -hmm. and nursing now children dr brownstein uh and i differ about this because i've seen like he has he thinks you can dose iodine by weight and, and a lot of drugs are, are given by that so in other words if it's a small child it's a certain amount of iodine if it's, but i found that kids are often like adults that one person can take 50 milligrams and the other can only take 12. So it's by trial and error that I found. And so I have a, a thing called the heel dosing method. It, it's on my website, um, lynnfarrow.net. Okay. And, and it, what I do, what I suggest is like dilute some Lugols and put it on your child's heel or, you know, you can put it on his tummy with a smiley face or something, but dilute it and then build up so that you, so you don't get any children getting diarrhea because somebody gave them 12 and a half milligrams of iodine. I mean, it could be a 12 or 13 year old who is like close to an adult in body weight, but he's still sensitive and you don't want to trigger anything like that. So we disagree on that particular thing. I, I'm more trial and error and to see the sensitivity of both the person and the child. So that would be my recommendation. Okay. And somebody taking thyroid meds. Doesn't make any difference. About a third of the people, in other words, you can take iodine with thyroid meds. Right. A third of the people taking thyroid meds who then take iodine and get established on it, a third of the people will be able to stop their thyroid meds completely. A third of the people will be able to reduce their thyroid meds. And the final third have no change whatsoever in the amount of thyroid meds they need. Wow. Interesting. I mean, we've studied that. Okay. And how long, if somebody's going to be, if you see them being able to go off of it, I would think they would be slowly increase, decreasing their dose of thyroid meds over time. They probably feel a little speedy or something. At some point they feel, or they might forget to take it and not notice any difference. Ah. Or, and, but Dr. Brownstein has actually measured their thyroid levels he, in his work you know, he, over the last like 15 years or so. Uh, he, he, I'm sure he backs it up, not just the clinical impression of they're not cold anymore, they could go off their thyroid, but their actual uh, blood tests for thyroid. Okay, okay, interesting. So um, so that's, that's good because so many doctors don't want to recommend iodine to their thyroid patients where, and then they just medicate them, which sounds crazy to me because I would think that that would be the first thing you would do, but then they don't want to combo them. But also... Um, God, I was just going to say something and I, I forgot. Oh, but also what, like what I think it's in Dr. Brownstein's book, how he talks about is uh, when you give thyroid meds, you upregulate the metabolism, which increases your requirement for iodine. So it sounds like even if you aren't getting the obvious benefit of being able to go off your thyroid meds, you should probably be supplementing with it to support that upregulated metabolism, I would think. You know, there's a lot of theories about 
thyroid med that I, you know, I've seen different books published and talked to different doctors. And there's, there's just so much variation that it comes down to just trial and error. Right. You know, yeah. I, we hate those words, but, but that's what well, it comes down fair to. Fair enough, because we're all different. Right? Yeah. So that, that makes sense to me. We're all different. We can't expect it to be standardized for every single person because we're all different. Mm-hmm. So companion nutrients. Let's talk about those. What are the companion nutrients that help support iodine absorption and conversion? Well, the companion nutrients are main one is selenium, vitamin C, magnesium, and B2 and B3, which you can, that's almost optional, but we, we ask people to start out with that because if you're not absorbing the iodine, if the symporters aren't absorbing the iodine, that the B2 and B3 will just like whack the symporters awake. And I think it's better to start. And then if you find you're fine after three months, just, you know, you can drop it or, you know, you just, it's not that important. But it's better to start and stop than be, be, be worried for three months. Like, why isn't anything happening? Why isn't anything changing? Okay, that's interesting because I say, well, do it with this. And if you're not getting benefits, then try the ATP cofactors, which is that B2 mm-hmm. and B3. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that makes more sense to me. Let's, let's, let's give you the better chance for success and then drop it if, if mm-hmm. you need it and see how that works. Okay. Okay. And so how much magnesium do you think people should take in vitamin C and selenium? Well, well um the selenium is 200 uh, micrograms um and you can even like go off that a little bit you know you, as you go on just like not take it on weekends that kind of thing okay. uh the, the vitamin c we say 3000 milligrams it depend uh, so which would be uh 3000 milligrams is three grams yeah um and yes the magnesium uh, you know, it depends on what magnesium you're taking because some are, are more prone to give you diarrhea than others. And those, the ones that are chemically altered, and of course, you never take uh, time release magnesium. They, that's like a, a night or time release anything really. Mm. Um, any, any product that's so engineered that it's time release, you shouldn't be taking. Um, Fair enough. So, you, you have to experiment with magnesium. You know, people have different, there's like a war on, on the different magnesiums. Yeah, <laughs> right, but it is one nutrient that I think a lot of people are taking these days yes. because like vitamin D, it's gotten a lot of coverage in recent yes. times. So, okay. And then there's the salt loading protocol. Yes, that's I prob- actually drink salt water all the time and I have been drinking salt water for 30 years since university. It actually changed my life because really? of my hydration and more water balance in my body. So I actually always put salt in my water regardless. Well, that you, then you're ahead of things. I mean, that, because it's very hard to get people to, to realize the benefit of that, but it certainly pulls out the bromide. I, and I think I, I mentioned this, that um, in my book, when, when some of the soldiers had bromide poisoning, the, 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 the treatment for that was to get intravenous salt, like saline drips. And that mm. pulled the bromide. And, and some of the soldiers were crying in, the, in their bunks before they had the drips. And others were playing ping pong. They didn't feel the, bro- they had high bromide in their bloodstream. Some didn't feel it, others were crying. So that's how you're talking about people being different. That's how different poisoning can, can be to people. Right, and so, yeah, and that's poisoning. And so all these people with all these 
mental problems, emotional problems. If we would just look at the poisoning and the lack of nutrients. Oh my goodness. I'm sure that would be a interesting study to conduct. So yeah, so that helps them to clear their symptoms and, and, and regulated their emotions. I can't remember exactly how that turned out. Uh, you mean with the bromide? Well, in the 1950s, bromide was so much on the market with like stomach remedies and nerve medicine. You know, the 50s housewife was given Nervine, Miles Nervine, which was a bromide product. Uh. That the when they took the the blood, if you if you decided to, you were so depressed, you would go to a mental hospital. They would take your blood level. They found that something like seventy percent of the people had high bromide levels. Wow! And that's from just taking over the counter products that were making them depressed and suicidal. Right. Wow, wow! And add to that the lack of iodine. So yeah, no wonder people. I have actually a customer who came in. She came to my class, and she comes into the store, and she says you're making me sick. I'm like, oh, guess. I Let me guess. The iodine is detoxing you. And she had to go much, much lower. She started, she went down to half a tablet of the 12 and a half iodorol. Yes. And she went to drops that she could dilute even more. Mm -hmm. And she, cause she read both books, your book and Dr. Brownstein's book and within the week and a half after the class, she's like, everything I have is points to iodine deficiency, all my symptoms. And she's been working with a functional medicine doctor and never got on the iodine. I was so frustrated with that. So yeah, so hopefully she can slowly increase those levels because for some people it can be uncomfortable, but I have another friend who is taking thyroid medication and she's up to almost 50 milligrams. She's not feeling anything yet mm -hmm. at all. No detox, no nothing. So like you said, everybody's so different. But there are people who will tell me they take five milligrams every other day and they're doing five fine. milligrams. Yes, but that, you know, that's that. great. That's rare. I mean, there was there was a woman who um, is on one of the groups who her she she thought she had dementia. She was in her forties because her husband had to cut her meat for her. That's how weak and foggy she was. And then, as little as five milligrams, it just turned her life around. She experimented with higher doses. Right. She must have just fantastic absorbing tissue. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. That. That. Yeah. That's so. So is there somebody who shouldn't supplement with iodine? Where are cases where it's dangerous? Can it be yes. dangerous? Yes, there's one condition, and that's when you have a hot nodule, an autonomous node, they call that. And it's a, a, a node on your thyroid that will produce thyroid hormones. So you, 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 either, you have to have that surgically removed in order to be able to take iodine. You don't, nobody has this and doesn't know about it. I mean, or maybe in Africa or someplace where they aren't oh, around doctors, you, you would know about it. Okay. Because you don't so, want to cause hyperthyroidism. Right. So it's not necessarily that you have nodules, it's that, that independent nodule that's working. Yes, it, it's like a separate thyroid almost. Wow, okay. And other than that, there's no <laughs> other known... But also, what about kidney? If somebody's having some kidney failure problems or kidney problems, is that a problem? Well, the only thing with kidney, the kidneys that we found is that it, the detox might be a little, if you're taking a lot and you're, you're detoxing a lot of bromide, it's going through the kidneys. The Alka-Seltzer Gold, if you take that like once a day, you know, in between meals, it, people report that like your brain might even clear quickly, or if you feel like achy all over and you've eaten something off, it, it sort of alkalizes the kidneys. So they work for, and they dump, it dumps the bromide out more efficiently and, and whatever other 
things that are caught up in, that are negative in your body. You know, it might be killing off parasites. Wow, really? Okay, I haven't heard that one. Okay. Um, so what about people that are now I know we're coming to the end. So I just want to quickly mm -hmm. talk about um, your work and where we can people can find you. So thank you, like people start looking into the iodine, like iodine is essential nutrient for every single cell of your body. We live it most people don't live around marine sources of food and soil. Most people aren't supplementing with very high dose iodine, but most people are around fluoride. In my part of the world, we are facing fluoride getting put back into our water. We're going very backwards in that regard. Um, there's, you know, the, there's chlorine in things. There's bromides, all these things in the same group in the periodic table, right? They're displacing that iodine. So chances are that you need it. So look into that. So Lynn, if people are looking for more of a community to discuss their issues, where can they find support or communities where they talk to you? You talked about the iodine workshop on Facebook. Yes, that's that's the only one that I could recommend oh, because, okay. because the moderators there, you know, I've known for years. Yeah, they are familiar with my work. They're familiar with you know, thousands and thousands of cases that have come through that that group. That's the main one. But keep in mind, if, if you go to that group, they sometimes will take a break for a couple of weeks and you might be able not to find the group when it, when the, the Facebook mechanism sort of like hides it from from you so you won't see it that just uh, happened i actually just recommended it to somebody and we couldn't find it and then i went into it and it said it was paused so yes, yes. okay yeah that's a good thing to do i want to add one more thing be before we wind up here and yeah. that is um sometimes people like if I, I gave some myoderol to my neighbor and she said oh I went to my doctor and my TSH level was too high. Oh, we didn't talk about post-scarcity. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Okay. So I just wanted to tell people, say they're taking iodine and they're feeling fine or you know, nothing's really going wrong, things are improving. And they go to the doctor and the doctor said, oh my God, your TSH is at 80. You've got to stop that. That's not what the doctor sees in the blood test is not your thyroid getting hypothyroid. It's the body manufacturing more symporters and doing other things at the same time. There's articles about that. There's a great video about that that Iodine Workshop runs every once in a while. It's a doctor explaining. I think the name of the video, if anybody wants to look on YouTube, is TSH, don't freak out. <laughs> okay. So, uh, it, yeah, we have to uh, be sure people know that because they think that they'll think that they're one person who can't take iodine because their TSH rose. That's in my book too, but it's I didn't make a whole lot of a, a big deal out of it but, right. it's, but it's, i think it is like i actually started to feel something in here and it passed and i have a friend so who she messages me she can't do much she's like oh i was taking my iodine every day and then the left side of her thyroid swelled up and she's i've never had a thyroid problem but what she did she actually cut an onion in half and rubbed it on there for 10 minutes and it went down but now I think she's afraid of taking iodine. So would that be, would, are people getting swellings with the, like what other symptoms from the post-scarcity effect could they get? If, you, if your body is, has been deprived of a nutrient and, and especially iodine, but other things too, when it senses the iodine in the bloodstream, it's going to try to hoard it. Like the thyroid, you know, it's been, the blood has been going through for years and it's had very little iodine. And suddenly, so it doesn't pay attention to because there's so little iodine. All of a sudden it sees the iodine and 
pounces on it and swells. The, the, the tissue of the thyroid swells so it could absorb more iodine out of the bloodstream as the blood passes through. That's the post-scarcity effect. It's okay. like a sort of a spontaneous goiter. It just like grabs it. That's what the goiters are. They expand to, you know, to get the minimal amount of iodine that's in the bloodstream out efficiently into the thyroid. So your friend, that's, yeah. that's what was going on. That will go away. It, it, it happens in the breast. People will say, oh, I had painful breasts. I took iodine and they, they swelled up more. Well, they'll, they'll go down. You know, just and, like go a little slower. And how long would that, yeah, so they should back off the iodine a little bit. Yeah, and yes. How long does this kind of, these symptoms generally last? Not long. I've never heard anyone say, oh, I've been on iodine six years and, and my thyroid is still swollen. Or right. six months, you know, even just, it, it just goes away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's an important one. Cause I think people think they're doing damage when, when that occurs and then it gets, yes. you get scared. So that's, that's a good one to know. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you. Okay. But I've heard about that with the ovaries too. I mean, ovaries, uh, breasts, thyroid, that's the main place that you see it. Those main, those main concentrators of the, iron. yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So your book, everybody, get this book. There's history in here. There's Lynn's story in here. There's the iodine protocol. There's, there's information about bromine and, and all sorts of different things in here. Such a great book, the iodine crisis, what you don't know about it can wreck your life. And for some people, that's literally what is absolutely happening. And that was happening to Lynn exactly as well. She couldn't think straight. She got breast cancer, all these different things. So Lynn, we, where else can people find you for more information? Well, I'm on the, I'm on Facebook. You can find me there, um, Lynn Farrell with a knee. Um, and um, I have a website, uh, lynnfarrow.net, as I said, Facebook. Um, that's pretty much it. That, that, but people can always find me. I'm always there. Uh, you know, I, I do answer questions. I'm not at length. I can't give any medical advice. But if somebody contacts me and, and has a situation, I, I'm always you know, eager to answer and help if I can. And I did recommend the Breast Cancer Choices website to somebody yes. recently as well who reached out to me for some help. So yeah, and that's another one that you're you're the director of that one. Yes. As well. So and great. And looking into the the yeah, what we're currently doing for breast cancer and, and iodine people, iodine. Yes. That's well, great. the good news of that is that since the the, the website went up. Uh, in, in the last 10 years, they've now introduced iodine as what they call an adjuvant therapy. For oh. it, it's been it's been clinically tested and trials. So and it's working. The, the people taking iodine for breast cancer, they take the conventional medicine too. But the people just doing the conventional therapies alone are not doing nearly as well to the people that have added iodine to the protocol. Okay. I mean that's like that should be on the front page of the New York Times or any Times, but it's not. But it should no. be. <laughs> for some reason it's not but yeah interesting okay Lynn that's amazing I think this is something that just affects everyone like pregnant mamas out there you know that's yeah. one of the things I think about the first thing these days is get yourself on iodine like it's amazing how resilient the human body is considering you know how much is needed and what we can get through with how much poisoning is in the environment and how much deficiency we're actually dealing with because I think it's more than we realize so yeah, but for some people, that could be your ticket, right? You can't hold yes. pregnancy or you've got cysts or things. So, 
Thank you, Lynn. I uh, really appreciate your time. I know this is going to help a lot of people out there and open their eyes, open their eyes, because I think there's a little bit of a fear around, like, as you say in your book, iodine has been stolen from us, mm -hmm. right? And there's fear around it. So if people can just start empowering themselves with listening to this kind of thing and reading your book, I think they'll feel a lot more confident in going down the route of iodine supplementation the right way. Yes, I just want to get the information out there any way I can, because it does really change your life. Yes, I think you cut out a little bit there. Okay, just hold the line one sec. Okay, everyone, thanks for joining us today. If you find this information helpful, please share it. Please share it. Please use it. Please share with your friends and family, because I know a lot of people can be be helped by this information again at Lotus Herbal Health in Calgary on November 29th. I'm also doing a class on this together with tissue salts. Uh, but I feel this is really important. I'm going to be shouting this from the rooftops forever because now I know how important it's for everyone. So please pass it on. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you again. Ciao.